Doom Patrol, Negative Man, Elastigirl, Robot Man. Someone wants the Doom Patrol reunited. Your every word and action is being broadcast across the planet. Now, Monsieur Mana! Well done, my Doom Patrol. Well done. It is too late for you, Calder. Your beloved patrol is doomed. Hello, and welcome to Waiting for Doom, the world's greatest Doom Patrol-related podcast, where each episode we talk long and lovingly about our favorite superhero team, the mighty Doom Patrol. Hey, everyone, I'm Paul. You can find me on Twitter at reading underscore Hicks, and you can send us emails to waitingfordoom at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, in the Facebook way that things are on Facebook. There's also my greatest adventure, 80.blogspot.com, which has uh, Doug Zavisha's Doom Patrol blog stuff, and uh, all our episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and podbean.com. Yes, now this episode is very special. We have a review of the new Titans episode 4, featuring the Doom Patrol. And we have a special correspondent, Dr. Ange, uh, chiming in with his thoughts on this episode. So take it away, Ange. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Waiting for Doom. Now, I know you're expecting Paul, Mike, and Wilfred to answer when you came knock-knock-knocking on this podcast door, but instead you get me, Dr. Ange, and I'm here to review the Titans episode, Doom Patrol, from the DC Universe streaming service. Now, I will admit that I'm not usually a streaming service kind of a guy, but the DCU site intrigued me enough to make me consider plunking my money down. And after seeing screenshots of Hawk and Dove, two of my favorite characters, and really comic realistic costumes, and then hearing about this Titan show, and then seeing screenshots of the Doom Patrol and hearing about their upcoming solo show, and then thinking about perusing lots of comics on my tablet, I decided I should bite the bullet. Now, the Titan show is the first original content to be put up for consumption, and it seems like the show heads decided that putting these characters in a grim and gritty world, more akin to Zack Snyder and the Marvel Netflix shows, was really going to be where the money was. So if you like curse words in your superheroics, get ready to be carpet F-bombed by this show. The Titan show itself revolves around the story of a young raven, played by Tegan Croft, and how the evil inside her is starting to manifest. That's a really nice riff on the original series of the New Teen Titans by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, where Raven brought the Titans together to help fight her father, Trigon. But here she is a tween, on the run from the law, and a cult who is trying to bring about Armageddon. Croft really shines here, sort of vacillating between an innocent kid trying to deal with usual pubescent issues, as well as the fact that something evil is inside her, which occasionally manifests and lashes out. But after Raven, I have some issues. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Let me ask you, do you like your Robin to be a slightly unhinged brute, more than ready to bash a skull in with his bare hands, or stab you in the junk with garden shears? Do you like your Starfire to be on a mission to find Raven, only to start out the series as an amnestic call girl in Russia who likes to incinerate thugs? Do you like your Hawk having erectile dysfunction, and did you really need to know that? Do you like your Beast Boy to only be able to turn into a green tiger and to use that power for petty theft of video games out of department stores? Well, if that describes your Teen Titans, well then this show is for you. All right, the table is set. Enough preamble. But wait, what's that I hear? 
Is that ticking? Yeah, it's the clock from people listening to the show saying, you know, Ange, get on with it. We're not here to, to listen to you talk about nonsense. We're here to listen to you talk about this Doom Patrol episode. So here we are. Episode four of Titans was written by comic legend Jeff Johns, and it shows... Johns really loves his DC lore, and he definitely showed an appreciation for the Doom Patrol in this episode. Not surprisingly, this is my favorite one so far. The show opens with a flashback of Gar, now as a brown-haired human dying in a medical tent in the Congo. As the medical personnel run off, realizing that their mission is futile, in walks someone else in a hazmat suit who says that he can save Gar. This person then injects Gar with a green serum, turning his skin green. We're off to the races. Now, last episode ended when Raven blew the roof off of a convent, and she's on the run in a nearby woods. There she's found by a couple of drunk hunters who have just shot a deer. But before those hunters can do much more than creep her out, a green tiger shows up and scares them off. It's Beast Boy, who turns back into his human form and runs up to Raven. These two had had a meet-cute earlier in the series at an arcade. He says he's going to take her to someplace safe where he lives with his special crew, people who are more than able to deal with someone like her. And he tells her that she isn't evil. He has a sense for such things, and he isn't worried. As they leave, we see the deer which had been shot by the hunters, and who had been tended to by Raven, suddenly have its wounds heal. So it seems like Raven does have this good side like she does in the comic, an empathic side that can help people. Gar takes her to a mansion that's in those very same woods. It's a place we learn later is called the Calder House, situated on Danny Street. He brings her into his bedroom, which is a pastiche of nostalgia from movie posters to video games. But soon they are discovered by someone, someone we've been eager to meet. Robot Man. Yeah, and Cliff is all Richard Case cool here in his big jacket and t-shirt. And he's just as gruff as we like him, telling Gar that he wasn't put on this earth to babysit and wondering how Carr could have brought Raven into their house, which is a safe zone for them. He calls himself Robot Man, not just a robot. And in this conversation, we hear a lot about the chief, both about how he is the greatest doctor in the world, as well as having just learned to walk again himself. As the chief isn't around, Robot Man and Gar decide to bring Raven around the house. There we see someone in the kitchen cooking. Who is it? It's Larry Trainer, definitely in rebus mode, from his funky shades to his green jumpsuit. And he's definitely quirky, bopping around the kitchen while listening to ACDC. He meets Raven, who wonders if he's the Invisible Man because of his look and those bandages. And he wishes that that was what was going on. And it's clear he's quite the chef, too, making what appears to be a sumptuous spread for what seems to be about 20 people. And then Beast Boy heads upstairs. Up there, we see a bedroom filled with glamorous Hollywood stills and movie posters of someone else we've been waiting to meet. It's Rita Farr. He tells Rita that dinner will almost be ready and she'll need to head downstairs. But when we pan to the bed, we don't see Rita or even a woman. Instead, we see a sort of moist, amorphous pile of what looks to be breathing flesh. I wonder if Paul will end up saying that it looks like a paramecium. Soon, the kitchen table is set with a huge feast, and in walks Rita now, sporting a red form-fitting skirt and 40s glamour, looking like sort of a brunette Veronica Lake. She says her unique issues means that she needs to intake a particularly large quantity of calories, and she piles her plate filled with steaks and waffles and onion rings, dousing the whole thing in a whole tureen of gravy. 
But as she eats, her concentration seems to, to break, and her face starts to melt into that clay-like substance we saw upstairs. But Raven isn't horrified. Instead, she reaches out and touches Rita, easing that stress, again showing she's somewhat empathic. This meal is really a great scene. We see Cliff pawing at his empty plate and asking Raven to describe the taste and the texture of the foods. We get the sense that the team is both loyal to the chief, but also sort of trapped by him a bit in this house. And we even get a brief glimpse of Rita's origin when Raven touches her, as we see her sort of falling through a bridge into some water while she's filming a movie. It really feels perfect. But that meal is again broken by someone else crashing into the room. Who could it be? It's the chief running on two legs. And he has someone else with him, a new patient, a young girl who he rescued from a protest after she was doused in liquid nitrogen. Who could she be? Her name is Shailene Lau, the person we know as Fever from the John Arcudi run. Using his medical kit, he is able to modulate her temperature and stabilize her. Maybe we'll see her in the upcoming show? But really, it's Raven who once again uses her empathic skills to calm down Shailene, allowing the medication to work. Once Shailene is stable, we see the chief pull Gar aside, and he's pretty biting with Beast Boy, chastising him for bringing Raven into the house, and really sort of looking at him sternly, telling Gar to never disobey him again. But then the chief switches tone quickly and apologizes to Gar. You get the sense that the chief really is a sort of abusive personality type, having a weird hold on the Doom Patrol, a sort of Stockholm Syndrome-like effect. And that perfectly captures the way that I think of the chief in comics, especially since the Morrison run. We then get another tour of the house, seeing shots of Cliff as a race car driver. We see Larry in a big fur-collared coat, just like he was in the Morrison run. We again see Rita. And now it's the chief who talks to Raven. He says he can help her. He's, after all, helped other people, just like the Doom Patrol members. The house is sort of an incubation chamber to help special people and advance medicine behind the scenes. And she should let him run some tests on her. She reluctantly agrees. In his lab... Calder ties Raven down to a table and begins to take out needles and other medical devices. Raven says she sort of changed her mind and wants to be let loose, but the chief doesn't stop. And when Gar rebels, telling the chief to let her go and to stop what he's doing, the chief does something I wasn't expecting. He pulls out a tranquilizer gun and shoots Gar down. Yeah, that sounds like something the chief would do. But this experiment with Raven goes wrong. The evil in Raven starts to manifest before Calder can do anything. And this evil is a sort of swirling storm of black globs of energy in the lab, which end up grabbing the chief and throwing him into a wall. It looks like Armageddon is about to happen. But upstairs, Dick and Corey, who have been tracking Raven throughout this whole episode, end up at the mansion. And walking inside, they end up running into the Doom Patrol. It looks like we might get an old-school heroes-meet-heroes-and-fight moment, but before any punches can be thrown, the house violently shakes and the power goes out. It's clear that something is happening in the lab. Heading downstairs, Dick sees Raven, now standing before an open portal, probably getting ready to let all of hell break loose. He runs to her and calms her down, saying he will never leave her again, and he'll always be there to help her. 
she seems to respond to him and calms. And as she calms, the portal closes. The episode ends with us learning that Chief has once again broken his back and is again wheelchair-bound. Sensing the time is right, the three main members tell Gar that he needs to leave with Dick and Corey and Raven and follow his own destiny. He deserves a life, a better life than what they have stuck in this house. Fade to black. Well, there is so much goodness here, guys, that I can't wait for you to see it. I mean, yeah, there were tiny Easter eggs like Danny the Street and Shailene Lau, and even the origin flashbacks are brief but sort of perfect to the comics. But the bigger thing here is the characterization of the Doom Patrol and the whole tone of their interactions. You really get that sense of how Cliff misses his humanity and strives to still be human somewhat, dressing up and sitting at the dinner table with everybody else even though he doesn't eat. And you know that Larry is a little bananas based upon everything that he says and does. And you see how Rita wants to be this beautiful movie star, even though that image melts away whenever she stops concentrating. But most of all, you see the strained relationship with the chief. I mean, he guns down Gar and chastises them while saying that he loves them. It's really what he would do. He has both helped them and trapped them, and they are sort of beholden to him in a way that kind of felt creepy in some places. And I think that's perfect for the fans of the show. Also, I'll say that the actors all convey this stuff very, very well. You know, Brandon Fraser is doing Cliff's voice, and that's great. And April Bowlby is Rita, and she's all collected and proper, sort of masking the fact that she is what she is. And Dwayne Murphy here is a Larry and is kind of funky and quirky in his movements. It really all works. Even the chief, played here by Bruno Bashir, is kind of stealthily malevolent in his benevolence. It's just all very well done. So while the Titan show itself is somewhat iffy to me, I have to say I have way more hope for the Doom Patrol solo show now. I hope it's just like this. And as I said before, I can't wait for you guys to see it itself. So, as I'm wrapping up the show, I guess now is the time that I ask my question of the week. And so my question of the week is, should Paul and Mike invite me on to do another show? Since I opened up with Men at Work, something I've always promised I would stop doing. Seriously, guys, thanks for having me on, and I hope everybody enjoyed this review. Thanks for that, Ange. That was awesome. Uh, I wish we could watch it. We can't watch it yet. Well, yeah, we will when we can. At this stage, we can't. So, <laughs> at this stage, at this stage. <laughs> Yes, but um, thanks for that, Ange. And uh, what's on next time, Mike? Next on the feed, we have another episode of DCOCD where the event being covered will be No Man's Land. Yeah, and then we'll be back with more Waiting for Doom. I think we're going to hit the John R. Cootie Hewitt run, uh, Volume 3. And Hooray! Getting towards the end of that one. So Yes, yes. Oh, jeez. Mm. And if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to send us your thoughts about the Titans episode, uh, you can uh, get in touch via Twitter at WFDPod, uh, email at waitingfordoom at gmail.com, and there's the Waiting for Doom Facebook page, and of course Doug's blog at mygreatestadventure80.blogspot.com. And thank you, Ange, again. Thank you for coming yeah, through thanks, for us. Well done. Yes. Uh, well done, my Doom Patrol. Well done. <laughs> Anyway, short and sweet, that's all we've got time for. So we'll, we'll see you all next time on Waiting for Doom. See ya.